Our first reading is from Galatians chapter 3 and chapter 4. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all in one Christ Jesus. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The gospel is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke in the second chapter, beginning at the 41st verse. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and people. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise be to thee, O Christ. As we remain standing, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, through which you speak to us and reveal yourself to us. I pray in light of that truth that I, as preacher, would just get out of the way. Far, far less of me, far, far more of you that your people gathered would be edified and your son, Jesus, glorified. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? At Christmas, light has pierced darkness. The long-awaited, prophetically promised Messiah has been born. The hopes of a nation and all of creation rest upon his shoulders. But who is he? 
Why has he come? And how will he accomplish it? These are the answers this season after Christmas Day in the church year invites us to reflect upon. When you read a biography of a famous individual, someone who's changed the course of a a company, a people, a nation, attention is often given to their parents, the ways that they were formed in the home that they grew up in, triumphs and tragedies that mark those formative years. But of the 30 years between Jesus' infancy and his baptism, we only have one story. Of all the memories that could have been gleaned by, from neighbors and family members alike by the gospel writers, we only have one story. Perhaps we need only one. For this one story beautifully encapsulates his identity, his work, and the foreshadowing of its fulfillment. And all of that is given in his own words, out of his own self-understanding. For here in this text, we have the first recorded words of Jesus. So I want to invite you to turn either in your Bibles, if you brought them with you, or on your phone, or if you look in front of you, you'll find pew Bibles, and you'll find this passage on page 59 of the New Testament. And this, we're given this only window into Jesus' formative years, revealing clearly in his own words his identity, his work, and its foreshadowed fulfillment. So first... His identity. Verse 41. Each year his family would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But this year was different. It was a special year. Jesus was 12. The last year before he became a man. At 13 he would become a son of the law. He would take upon himself the responsibility of Torah. And this year, above every other year, his father, Joseph, was heavily involved in mentoring, guiding, forming, discipling. Not only would he be mentoring him in the family business of carpentry, but he would be forming and shaping him in the practices of the Jewish faith. This Passover in particular for seven days would be intensive for the two of them as Joseph said to Jesus, here is the significance of the lamb, the ceremonial food, the temple. Here's the story that we're remembering of God's great rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt and forming them as a people in a promised land. And then, verse 43, the feast ends. The pilgrims return home. But Jesus stayed behind. Now, at this point, Mary and Joseph seem like rather negligent parents, right? I mean, they don't even notice for an entire day. It's rather unsurprising. The whole community was involved in the care of children, and the men and the women often traveled separately. The women left earlier in the morning. They were slower. They were taking care of younger children. The men left later with the older boys. Easily, Mary could have assumed he's with Joseph, and Joseph assumed he's with Mary. And then that night, when they gather at a pre-chosen location to have the evening meal to set up camp, they notice Jesus isn't there. 
And so they go back to the last place that they saw him, Jerusalem, another day's journey. And then on the third day, they find him. He's with the Sanhedrin, the teachers of the law who would gather in the temple during the feasts to discuss faith and religion with whomever would listen. And they are mightily impressed. How could someone so young be so wise and learned? Now, if you've ever lost a child, even momentarily, beside you in the grocery store, in the mall, and then all of a sudden you look around and they're no longer there, and you run the aisles calling their name, and anyone that you bump into, you'll say, have you seen about this high a red shirt? Can you tell I've had this experience? And then you find them. And then there's this great relief. But then that gets replaced very quickly by another emotion. (laughs) Anger, right? You want the child to understand the seriousness of this moment. Yes, it turned out okay this time, but it could have turned out very differently. Mary's relief in this moment very quickly turns to that natural concerned anger But the way she articulates it is very instructive. Son, why have you treated us so? Your father and I, she's emphasizing Joseph, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Why is she emphasizing Joseph? Well, for the last year, This week, intensively, Joseph has been spending a great portion of his time mentoring, discipling, forming, teaching. And in an honor and shame culture, Jesus has just shown the deepest of disrespect. Your father and I. His response? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You're concerned that I'm not honoring my father? That's exactly what I'm doing. And how do Mary and Joseph respond? Confusion. They have absolutely no idea what he's on about. Why? Because no one spoke this way. We're not all that confused or surprised by it. We hear people all the time say, well, everyone is a child of God. But we don't find that in the Bible. Yes, every single one of us are created in the image of God and are to be honored and respected and given dignity because of that. But no one referred to themselves as a child of God. No one would say, God is my father. Until Jesus did. That's why they're so confused. It speaks of his identity. Jesus is uniquely the son of God, but it also speaks to our identity in him. You see, was that not one of Jesus' primary emphases in his ministry? That we would come to know his father as our father? When he taught his disciples to pray, he would have scandalized them in the first words. When you pray, pray like this. Our 
Father. And Jesus invited a particular kind of relationship with our Father. We hear children for the first time in their first words crying out, Mama, Dada. And Jesus used the Aramaic equivalent to speak of his Father, Abba. Jesus is inviting his disciples, you and I, to relate to God with the kind of childlike dependency and affection of a toddler. It's shocking in its intimacy, its familiarity, its boldness. The story speaks to his identity, uniquely the Son of God, but also to our identity. In him, we are all sons of God, able to cry out, Abba. Father. I think this is why the lectionary pairs this story with what was read for us from Galatians, where Paul says, as a result of faith in Jesus, we're adopted as sons of God. We don't presume a father. We don't win a father. We don't negotiate for a father. We're adopted by a father. It's an act of grace that we receive by faith. Now, some of you might think, well, Tim, you're not being all that sensitive here to matters of gender. You're not being all that inclusive by keeping this language in the masculine. But I'm doing it deliberately. Because what Paul says here is for his listeners radically inclusive. Scandalously so. You see, in this culture, there were deep divisions between Jew and Gentile, male, female, slave, free citizen. The Jewish man woke up every single morning with a prayer. Thank you, God. I wasn't born a Gentile, a slave, a woman. Inheritance law had it that no woman could ever inherit. Only the son and the eldest at that. But Paul has the audacity to say that in Christ, whether male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, youngest, eldest, doesn't matter. In Christ, we are all sons of God. In Christ, we are all heirs to his kingdom. Rodney Stark, longtime professor of sociology and comparative religion at the University of Washington, has written volumes on the impact of these core convictions on the shape of the early church. Their reflection of racial harmony and diversity their care and love of the poor, their treatment of women, which was radically different from the dominant culture that greatly influenced their growth and the influence of Christianity across the Roman Empire. This story speaks of his identity, uniquely the Son of God, but it also speaks of our identity in Christ, sons of God by adoption. But finding our identity in him is absolutely vital to our humanity. It was the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard who articulated that as human beings, we were made to find our deepest identity in our relationship with God. And if we don't rest our identity there, it will lead to deep disappointment and unfulfilled expectations. For nothing else other than God can bear the weight of answering for us that question. Who am I? 
You see, the things that we often root our identity in seem solid on the surface, but they can desert us in a moment, unraveling our sense of self, unraveling our relationships. For instance, if we build our identity on career or work, that often fosters this tendency to overwork, to be just so driven that we sacrifice relationships. Or if we lose our job, or work success eludes us. Despair sets in. We root our identity in parenting. It has a tendency to bring us to a place where we'll either under-discipline or over-discipline. If we can't stand to lose the approval of our kids, we'll under-discipline. But if we see our kids as an extension of ourselves and can't bear the thought of others looking down upon us because of something our kids do, we'll have a tendency to over-discipline. If we build our identity in wealth or possessions, jealousy will eat us up when we encounter greater wealth, will hoard in the face of deep need, or will constantly be anxious that we don't have enough. If we build our identity in relationships, the approval, acceptance of others will be overly hurt by criticism, will fear confronting others with loving truth for fear of losing them. This story speaks to his identity, uniquely the Son of God, but it also speaks to our identity, adopted by grace through faith as a Son of God, an identity vital to our flourishing as human beings. But not only does this story point to our identity, his identity, it also points to his work. You may have in front of you a translation where verse 49 doesn't read, Did you not know I must be in my father's house? But rather, did you not know I must be about my father's business? The Greek can be translated either way because culturally, there's no difference. To be in the father's house was to be about the father's business. You were a son, you had no choice in the matter. If your father was a farmer, you were a farmer. Farmer, If your father was a vine dresser, you were a vine dresser. If your father was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. Did you not know I must be about my father's business? And what is the father's business? Well, his house, the temple, reveals it. In the Jewish mind, the temple was the meeting place of heaven and earth. The Father's business then is to unite heaven and earth for God's will to be done on earth as in heaven, to bring healing where there's brokenness, to bring justice where there's wrong, to bring peace where there's conflict, to flood the earth with new creation. And that is the work that in this moment Jesus commits himself to. It's a work that he lives out in his healing, his teaching, his loving, his being, his welcoming. But after rooting himself in that cosmic work of God, what's the first thing that Jesus does? Verse 51. He goes home to Nazareth and is submissive to his parents. Huh? He takes on the family business of uniting heaven and earth and goes home and is obedient to his parents? Okay, boys and girls, be like Jesus. (laughs) Obey your parents. No, 
I think this tells us that the work of the kingdom, the work of following Jesus, the work of every son of God that is about uniting heaven and earth is mundane before it's spectacular. It is to be lived out exactly where you find yourself, in your friendships, in your workplace, in your school, in your families, in your marriages. When I was a youth pastor, I would take our youth group regularly to sanctuary street walks. These were walks that were planned by a Sanctuary, which is a ministry to the street involved here in Toronto at the corner of Young and Charles. My friend Paul was an outreach worker there. When we would go for these walks, we would be given these maps and we'd split the youth group out into small groups, each with a leader, and then at night we would walk through the streets of downtown Toronto, being brought to an awareness of what street life looked like. Prostitution, poverty, homelessness, mental health, addiction. And while we were out on this walk, Paul would give us three questions to answer. If you were on the street, where would you sleep? What would you eat? Where would you go to the bathroom? And when we finished our walk, we would meet back at sanctuary, and he would field our answers to these questions. And as he did, he would open us up to the complexity and harshness of street life. At the end of the evening, there's often a deep heaviness in the room, a yearning in all of us to see something different on the streets of Toronto to be a part of change. I remember one night he said to us, the stats of those who once they get on the street, get off, is dismal. But I would invite each and every one of you to a preventative work. There are in your neighborhoods, in your schools, perhaps even in the desk beside you, on your sports teams, those who will end up on the street, homeless. So be attentive to the needs of those around you. Respond to them with kindness and compassion. I don't think for a moment that Paul was suggesting that the follower of Jesus is not deeply concerned about poverty, about addressing the systems and the structures that contribute to it. Only that the family business of uniting heaven and earth is to be lived out exactly where you find yourself. In your friendships, your schools, your workplaces, your marriages. In his own words, Jesus is revealing his identity, our identity. He's revealing his work, the family business of every son of God, the uniting of heaven and earth that begins exactly where we find ourselves. But he also finally reveals, foreshadowing, his work fulfilled. For this is another time that Jesus is found at a meeting of the Sanhedrin, At the first one, they are mightily impressed with him. At the next, they subvert justice to condemn him to death. There's another time where Jesus is in Jerusalem for Passover. At the first one, Joseph is mentoring him. This is the significance of the lamb. Here is the story of God's rescue of his people from slavery. At his last Passover, 
He is the Lamb. He is the rescue of people from the slavery of sin and death. There's another time where Jesus says, I must. I must be in my Father's house. I must be about my Father's work. At his last Passover, he says, I must be handed over. I must die a death. I must rise again. There's another time where Jesus is lost, but then on the third day is found again. There's another time where the first response is confusion. But like Mary, verse 51 We're invited to treasure these things in our hearts. To treasure is to ponder them, to reflect on them, to connect the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us to every other aspect of life. But to treasure is not just an intellectual exercise, it's an emotional one. For to treasure something is to keep it alive like we would keep a fire alive by feeding it. Luke is saying that Mary is taking what she's discovering about her son and taking it down until she relishes it, experiences it, senses it. In his own words, Jesus reveals his identity, your identity. By grace, through faith, you've been adopted as a son of God. In his own words, Jesus reveals his work. The family business of uniting heaven and earth that every son of God is invited to live into exactly where you find yourself. And in his own way, Jesus foreshadows his work completed. Treasure the glorious reality that by way of his death and resurrection, he's opened up a future of which you are an heir. The uniting of heaven and earth in a new creation. And so may our prayer be, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, flood the earth with new creation. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.